We're going to miss that trailer, aren't we? <laughs> Welcome to National Community Church. A joy to have you here this weekend. And uh, excited about wrapping up our Elements series. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And last but not least, self-control. Now, why is it last? Well... Uh, in my personal opinion, I think it's probably the most uh, difficult fruit to cultivate in our lives. In fact, I might suggest that it takes the longest to germinate, um, but it is a master virtue, a master key. In fact, check this out. Uh, Proverbs 16.32 says, better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. If you can conquer yourself, you can conquer anything. Now, this is a little bit of an oxymoron because we're talking about self-control and yet it doesn't come from us. In fact, I wonder if it would be better to say uh, spirit-controlled then self-control because th this is not a message about trying harder. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And that gives us the power to do exactly what God has called us to do. And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, this weekend. If you have a Bible, you can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 24 through 27, we'll get there uh, in just a couple of moments. When, when I was 28 years old, uh, just a few years into pastoring, uh, I went to something called the School of Pastoral Nurture. It was a week-long uh, intensive experience with uh, Jack Hayford, who pastored the church on the way out in Van Nuys, California, um, Listen, I, I don't have very many, very many heroes. You could probably count them on a, on a hand, but Jack Hayford is one of them. I think he's a pastor's pastor and someone who has faithfully served the Lord for uh, so many years. God has used him in a powerful way. And I thought to myself, if I have a chance to hang out with Jack Hayford, I'm in. It's like drinking from a fire hose. It was an incredible week. What a download. Um, we had dinner in his home. Uh, it was like just, I mean, I was trying to pick up what he was throwing down. I mean, it was unreal. It was like, like 12 hours a day. Listen, I, I, would even, I would even put it this way. I've done two master's programs. I've done a doctoral program. I don't know that I wouldn't uh, trade that one week with Jack Hayford for all of those classes. It was unbelievable. Um, now that's the backdrop. I'm going somewhere with this, but let me hit the rewind button. I, I met Jack Hayford when I was a teenager. Uh, he came to speak at Calvary Church, the church that my father-in-law pastored in Naperville, Illinois for many, many years. And there was quite a buzz. We were excited. I mean, Jack Hafer was on the radio across the country, including the Chicago area. So a lot of people had listened to him, been, been uh, taught by him. And, uh, and so everybody was so excited. Jack Hayford's coming to Calvary Church. It was a midweek service. And um, 
Jack Hafer got up to speak, and uh, how shall we say this? Uh, he left the barn door wide open. Yeah, you, you want to double check that. You want to chickety check yourself before you get up to, to speak. Um, stage was about five feet high. Not helping. Um, now when Jack Hafer gets comfortable and kind of gets in his groove, he'll just sort of put one hand in the pocket like this. Now once we get really comfortable, we're talking kind of two hands in the pocket. Not helping things either. Um, it was so, so very bad that my father-in-law had to write a little note, Jack, your zipper is down. He had to walk up on stage, just kind of put it on the, on the pulpit, and it was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Jack Hayford, it was like a single Lutz in ice skating, just kind of <laughs> turned around, did the fly up, and like next second, and he's back here. I mean, <laughs> Russian judges would have even given him a 10. It was incredible. Now, the funny thing is, is afterwards we went out to dinner and, and this was a moment for me because, you know, as a 19-year-old kid, I'm, I'm able to have uh, dinner with Jack Hayford and, and uh, I'll never forget what he, what he said. He said, I don't think anybody noticed. I'm like, Jack, we were all peeping Toms tonight. Like, it was bad. It was bad. So fast forward, I mean, nearly a decade, and I find myself spending a week uh, with Jack Hayford, and it, and it changed uh, my life and changed, I think, the trajectory of, of uh, my ministry. Last year, uh, Jack Hayford, now in his 80s, was in the D.C. area, and, and uh a gathering for pastors, and I wasn't about to miss it. Um, hadn't seen him in a little while. And so uh, he talked for two hours, for two hours. And it is a message I will never forget. So powerful to me that I hired a transcriptionist to take that audio recording put it into words on the paper so that I could read it whenever I wanted to or needed to. Um, it was a message that only, only could come out of 80 years of living life. I want to tell you what he said. Make decisions against yourself. That's it. And spent two hours talking about how he had made decisions against himself. What I mean by that is decisions against his ego, decisions against the flesh, maybe what he would want, decisions against those things that might be second best. And for two hours, he elaborated an unbelievable message. Let me hit the pause button for a second. Uh, I want to give you a definition of self-control. It's making decisions against yourself. Now, I don't, uh, well, let me put it this way. Anybody who has a, a six-pack abs 
has made a decision against himself. <laughs> they went to the gym when we went to the buffet. Uh, anybody that has a, a PhD, we got some PhDs in, in the house. Listen, um, I want to tell you how, how they got it. They went to the library when we turned on the TV. They made a decision against themselves. Now, I could keep going, but I don't want us to feel too bad right here at the beginning <laughs> of the message. World-class athlete, world-class musician. They're making decisions against themselves. I want to tell you something. If you want to grow in your relationship with God and fulfill all of that God-given potential that you have, you're going to have to make some decisions against yourself. And Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That sounds like making a decision against yourself. Resisting temptation, it's a decision against yourself. Um, by the way, Rick Warren once said, many Christians are frightened and demoralized by tempting thoughts, feeling guilty that they aren't beyond temptation. I want to tell you something this weekend. There ain't one of us who is beyond temptation. Not one of us. And so let's not beat ourselves up about temptation. In fact, why don't we just kind of reframe it a little bit? Temptation is an opportunity to once again prove ourselves to God. How much we love him. He's more important than, than anything that would fulfill the desires of the flesh. All right, back to Jack. So uh, he just shared a few experiences and, and uh, these might not be as meaningful in this context as hearing Jack share them. But, you know, he, he shared about when he was 31 years old, a, a church came knocking, the largest church, I think, in their fellowship, a very prestigious pulpit. He's 31 years old and they basically say, we want you to be our pastor. One problem, the Lord had spoken to him and told him that he would be in his current capacity of ministry for five years and he was only three years in. And he wasn't willing to compromise what he knew the Lord had spoken to him. Long story short, uh, years later would take a tiny little church, uh, a church on the way. And it would become really one of the most influential churches in the country for many decades. Um, and still a powerful expression of the gospel. But he had to make a decision against himself. Could have taken the shortcut. Could have just kind of leapfrogged right into that thing. But he made a decision against himself. He shared about a moment, and this is kind of crazy. And again, you need the full context, but there was a moment where, uh, this is crazy. The Lord told him not to eat chocolate. Now Jack would be the first one to say, there's nothing wrong with chocolate. In fact, could we just thank God for chocolate right now? <laughs> thank God for chocolate. Chocolate is a gift from God to be enjoyed. Um, but sometimes the Lord will ask you to relinquish something, not something that's wrong, just something that if you're willing to give it up, it shows him that you care more about your relationship with God. And so Jack said, I honestly don't even know why the Lord spoke that to me, but for 30 years, I've not had chocolate. Um, for the record, he weighs now what he weighed when he got married 60 years ago. Huh, connecting the dots there. Um, little thing, little thing, but a big thing. Um, 
Oh, and then he shared about how he refused a salary increase his entire ministry. These were things that were hard for Jack to share, but, but he knows he's not doing anybody any favors if he pulls punches at 80, okay? Why don't I just say it like it is? And, he, and so um, he took a little bit of a risk and said, listen, at one point, uh, the church board came and said, we want to we increase your salary, $100,000. This is 20, 25 years ago. He said, no. He made a decision against himself. Now, you're never going to know how the Lord's going to honor it, and we're not talking legalism here. But when the Lord speaks to you, you've got to be obedient and make that decision against yourself. And so my question is, what decision do you need to make against yourself? And for some of us, it's very, very obvious It's an addiction that we're struggling with. It's something that we know is outside the boundaries of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, For others, it might be a little bit more uh, tricky. But let's dive in. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. It is so funny because if Paul was writing it to our generation, I'm not sure he'd write it this way because everybody wins the prize here. (laughs) Everyone's a winner. Everyone hits the home run. Everyone gets a trophy. Last place, here's the trophy. Um, I don't know. I'm not trying to preach a sermon here, but I, I think it... I grew up where if you didn't hit the ball, it was called a strikeout. You had to go sit on the bench. Your friends on the team ribbing you a little bit. But then that's how you learn to step back into the batter's box and swing for the fences the next time. Another sermon for another day. Um, but, but I think what Paul is talking about here is effort. Like, let's run. Let's go for it. Let's go, go big or go home. If you can't run with a big dog, stay under the porch. Um, I, anybody else, do they still do this now? I don't, I don't think my kids do it. But I was, when I was a kid, they gave like academic grades and then effort grades. Like this is for the kids like me who maybe weren't as intelligent as the other kids. You know, you're not really that smart, but good try. Um, <laughs> A for effort. Like in, in an academic setting, I really don't want the A for effort. I want the A. <laughs> but biblically speaking, I think this is a beautiful thing. Like I want an A for effort. Anybody else? Like at the end of the day, listen, God's not going to say, uh, well said, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well thought. Um, he's not going to say, well planned, well planned. No, well done. You got to do it. You got to put in the effort. I want an A for effort. Um, And it continues, verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control. There it is, self-control in all things. Now, just for this weekend, could we all consider ourselves athletes? Can we do that? Um, Now, you know, the older you get, the better you were. (laughs) Come on, ex-athletes, this one's for you. Um, He puts it in an athletic context and talks about self-control. You know what I've noticed? You know, I, I, I love doing chapels for NFL teams. It's, uh, it's fun. I love being in that environment. And, um, 
I remember I was doing a chapel a couple of years ago. I'm walking in. It's Saturday night before the game. And one of the guys, one of the linebackers on the team, um, he's in the hotel gym. Like, and this dude is working out like you wouldn't believe. I'm thinking to myself, the game's tomorrow. Like, what are you doing? Uh, I'll tell you what he's doing. He's doing what athletes do exercising self-control um, to maybe gain a little bit of an advantage over an opponent. And, and the chaplain of the team said, this guy always works out. He like never stops. He's just a gym rat. And, and, and a few times I've had this thought, if we had half the intensity of someone who played a professional sport, if we had kind of half the, the effort or discipline, if we would hit the word the way they hit the gym, and then I'm not even talking about what's on the field. The thing that's amazing to me is how much time is spent um, in the film room. I got to sit in on, on, uh, on a team meeting um, before one of these chapels, and it was crazy. You know, they're scripting out the first 15 plays. Like, I mean, this thing, they got this thing down to a science. And I remember thinking to myself, like, if we had half the intentionality, half the intensity, if we put in just even half the effort, into our walk with Christ, game on. It would be a game changer. And so I'm trying to spur us on just a little bit. And uh, I have a feeling our campus pastor at Kingstown, former Washington Redskin, I think there was an amen probably right in there somewhere. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Okay, we're gonna have some fun. Stick with me, here we go. One of the best things that you can do for your spiritual growth, for your spiritual maturity, is go to the gym and work out. I just said that. <laughs> now, what do those two things have to do with each other? Listen, here's what I found. The more disciplined I am in one area of life, the more disciplined I am in another area of life. Um, these things are not unrelated. If I'm disciplined in my diet, it helps me be more disciplined in my spiritual diet. If I am disciplined in going to the gym, I find it helps me be disciplined in exercising spiritual disciplines. These things are not unrelated to one another. And I think sometimes we treat uh, gluttony as, as the least of the seven deadly sins. I mean, it doesn't seem as insidious as jealousy or greed. Those even kind of have their own colors associated with them. You know, those are, that's, those are the bad ones. And then um, it doesn't seem quite as wrong as lust or pride. You know, gluttony kind of in a little bit lesser category. Um, but you know what? If you can't control your appetite for food, it's hard to control your appetite for anything. Again, what I'm saying is these things are not unrelated to one another. Um, and it's our inability to control our appetite for food, for fame, for money, for sex. That nine times out of ten is what gets us in a place where uh, we're in a tough, tough spot. Now let me just... Uh, kind of bring it up because I felt the energy level kind of dip there just, you know, um, two notches. Okay, there's some hope here. Um, can I just suggest that the spiritual discipline of fasting, it's huge. 
Um, uh, fasting is us saying no to food for a season. And here's what I've learned. Um, if you can say no to food, you can say no to just about anything else. And, and uh, I, I think, um, when, when did we start believing like this thing was going to be easy? Like, no. Like taking up your cross, denying yourself, this is not a walk in the park. This is more like, you know, like work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. That sounds like a gym, like that's resistance training. This is not easy stuff, but this is what God has called us to. Now, I want to suggest that um, maybe you're in a spot where self control, there's not as much um, supply as there is demand, and you find yourself maybe losing more than winning the battle against whatever it is that you struggle with. By the way, I think all of us struggle with something that would master us. And, and there's a fine line, and sometimes we just have to be honest enough, like, are we controlling it, or is it controlling us? And if we cross that line, then we have to take some radical measures to get some help. Now, sometimes, listen, that's getting counseling. Sometimes that's getting an accountability partner. Just invite someone to the mix. We've got an incredible uh, group, Celebrate Recovery, where, listen, it's people who just have the courage to actually say, hey, I'm wrestling with this part of my life, and I, I need, just like at the gym, you might need a, a spotter to kind of get that last rep out. Um, you know what? We need spotters spiritually, and we need to invite accountability into our lives, and, and uh, I think Celebrate Recovery is one of those incredible groups, but here's what I'm I'm getting at. Uh, I can't tell you how many um, counseling sessions I've done with people all across the map. And it doesn't matter whether they have a big decision to make. It doesn't matter even what, what problem or issue they're wrestling with. If, if I'm the doctor and I'm writing out the prescription, what I'm prescribing is a fast. Fasting just has a way of, of transitioning us, helping us kind of leave the past in the past and step into it. It helps us get just enough self-control um, with the help of the Holy Spirit that we can start winning a few of those temptation battles. Now, I also know that many of us, what we need um, is God's deliverance. Now, Psalm 32 says that he is singing songs of deliverance around us. I want you to know that there is a God who doesn't just deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, there is a God who can deliver you out of whatever bondage you have. But here's what I want you to hear. Uh, I've seen too many people experience the deliverance of God, but then not back it up with daily disciplines, with daily decisions. You've got to back up the deliverance with a decision on a daily basis um, to exercise that self-control. First uh, Corinthians 10, 23 says, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. This is huge. Uh, this is the difference between average, mediocre, and someone who, who, who God's hand is on in such a powerful way that they become something that, that uh, really brings glory to God and advances his kingdom. Um, uh, this sounds like making decisions against yourself. Let, let me ask you the question. Are you asking what's permissible? You know, this is kind of fun in youth group. It's always the question like, how far is too far? right? Um, that's a permissible question. Like, that's what can I get by with and still be okay? Um, uh, 
beneficial um, is saying, I'm not satisfied. Good isn't good enough. My utmost for his highest. God, what's best right here? What is going to bring me closest to you? And what that's going to require is making some decisions against yourself. You can't settle uh, for permissibility. You've got to go after what is beneficial. And uh, here's kind of the heart of it because um, let's talk about it in terms of a trend line. Uh, A trend line. Are you trending towards what's permissible? That's just the path of least resistance. And, and my concern is like, listen, you, you, you might get in at the end of the day if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, but um, is there gonna be any reward there to, to offer back and put at the feet of Christ? Uh, versus is your trend line going after what's beneficial? What I know for sure is that often what it takes is just a defining decision. And saying from this moment forward, you know what? Good isn't good enough. I'm going to go after God and believe that I'm going to experience him in a new way, in a greater way. So I do not run aimlessly, verse 26. Uh, I do not box as one beating the air. What, what a great image, kind of, you know, shadow boxing or um, air guitar is what I thought of. Um, that's my instrument. Um, I often will ask the team, do you need an air guitarist? Are we good? Um, or you need someone coming in because I can, oh, uh, yeah. I can get you a bass line right here on the air guitar. Um, one of my favorite moments in NCC history were at Union Station back when we had three services kind of going back and forth between uh, theaters. And uh, boy, we had some, some uh, interesting moments at Union Station. Never knew who was going to show up. And uh, one service, a, a woman walks in the, the back of the theater. And uh, kid you not, um, walking down the, the center aisle, it was one of the smaller theaters, playing the air guitar the whole way down. Like just <laughs> killing it, killing the air guitar. Like, wow, wow. Um, no one knew exactly what to do. Like we were a little slow on the draw. Um, gets all the way to the front. And uh, takes a rubber band, um, puts it on her finger, and flicks it at, our, at the feet of our worship leader at, at that service, who was Steph Motter. Uh, turned around and air guitared her way back out of the service. <laughs> Afterwards, we were like, did that really happen? Um, like, what the what? Like things that make you go, huh. Um, it, was, uh, it was pretty bizarre. That, that air guitar, that is beating the air. Here, here's what it is. Like, like, bro, you're clueless. Like you got no clue. You don't even know what you're doing. It's zero intentionality. And like, there ain't no point. What? What are you doing? Like beating the air. It's, it's like running a race, but I don't know where the finish line is. Now you run around. Um, th- th- this, is, this is no rhyme or reason whatsoever. And, and I think um, what Paul is getting at here is like, come on. If there's no goal, no plan, no routine, like good luck. 
Like what that is, let's call it what it is. It's a lack of self-control. And so let me take just a, a couple of moments and give you just a couple of quick thoughts, uh, three of them. Number one, establish goals. Well, what does that have to do with self-control? It has everything to do with self-control. Now, first of all, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So an absence of goals, goals that would honor God, uh, is an absence of faith. And, and if you don't have any goals that you're going after, you're, you're kind of aimlessly going through life. Um, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was hard to put them out there, but, you know, I put 113 life goals in this circle maker. And, and part of the reason why I did that um, is to, to model something that if you don't know what you're going after, you will not accomplish 100% of the goals that you don't set. And so um, part of self-control is having goals that we're going after. Let, let me put it this way. Uh, last week, Laura and I were kind of planning out some of, the, some of the summer months. And as I've mentioned a time or two, we're taking a, a little sabbatical 19 years into pastoring. And so we've got a few special things planned. Uh, Josiah and I are going to raft the Colorado River and uh, end up in the Grand Canyon and then we're going to hike out of it. Now, I've hiked the Grand Canyon from rim to rim before. Um, it's the mother load. I mean, it, it is, wow, uh, what a workout. And part of it is I, I did it in 130-degree um, weather. Um, yeah, lost 13 pounds in two days. It was incredible. Um, amazing diet plan. Uh, and, and then... Um, I think at some point this summer, we might hit Half Dome. And so I'm thinking about that little hike. Um, I went to the gym twice the next day. I really did. If I don't have something I'm training for, something I'm going after, like I think if your goal is to lose weight, like, good luck with that. Because um, you might lose it, but then you're probably going to put it right back on. Um, what we need are goals to go after. Um, and uh, whether they're physical or spiritual, I need a goal that, that I'm progressing towards to exercise the self-control to be able to accomplish it. Um, what, one other thought. Um, the, you can try to not sin by not sinning. And good luck with that too. Um, listen, uh, you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. Um, righteousness, righteousness is not just not doing nothing wrong. Righteousness, by definition, is doing something right. Um, I think the reason why many of us struggle um, with habitual sin or with addictions is that we don't have a, a, a greater yes that enables us to say no to something lesser. Really, what we need is a huge vision from God um, that would keep us busy, that would keep us on our knees. Um, listen, God, God makes big people with big dreams because um, then you don't really have time for the other stuff. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18 says it this way, without a vision, the people perish. The word perish refers to fruit that's overripe and rotting. Isn't it true? If you don't have a vision, you're rotting. Like, uh, and then another translation says where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Cast off restraint is the opposite of self-control. Need a vision from God that's bigger, that's stronger than the desires of the flesh. 
You get that in the word of God, in the presence of God. Um, you get that in prayer as God begins to reveal who you can become in Christ. Now, establish goals, establish boundaries. Um, I'm only going to give one, you know, one example for the sake of time. Um, you know, I, I only do 12 overnight speaking trips a year. And I've mentioned this a time or two. But it's a boundary I had to put in place a few years ago because, uh, you know, I, I want to be famous in my home. And it's hard to be famous in your home if you're not home. And I realized that my priority is to really try to be there for my family. And, and I'll tell you what happened. Every opportunity is an amazing opportunity. I started overextending myself and started saying yes to too many things. And at some point, um, God and his graciousness uh, made me realize you better start saying no to some things. And so I decided 12 overnight speaking trips, that's it. That's where I'm drawing the line. I'm setting a boundary. Now, I want to tell you something. On one level, um, it's a decision against yourself. You know, it's so funny because the moment you do that, then you get to your quota, and then the next invitation is the greatest one you've ever received. <laughs> but you know what? You got you to gotta establish boundaries. Let, let, let me ask you, what boundaries do you need to reestablish in your life? That self-control, but you have to define it. You have to, you have to know what it is. And then, and then finally, um, again, going kind of fast, but uh, establish routines. Um, I'm just going to say it. One of the most spiritual decisions you make every day is when you set your alarm clock. The earlier you set your alarm clock, the more of a decision you're making against yourself. Um, whenever I speak to writers, I always tell them, like if they ask for one, one tip, set your alarm clock early in the morning. That's it. Get up early. Make a decision against yourself. It's going to be so hard. Um, by the way, um, I had this strange thought today that every time you hit the snooze button, you're delaying your dream by about nine minutes. I mean, isn't that what we're doing? Um, uh, by, by the way, Jesus had a routine. Uh, Mark one thirty-five. very early in the morning while it was still dark, he got up, went out to a deserted place where he spent time with his heavenly father. He had a routine. Do you have a routine? See, routine is part of self-control. It's finding a, a rhythm to your life that, yeah, it includes things like, like a Sabbath rhythm. It includes things like a fasting rhythm. But it's this idea that you've got to pace yourself in a way um, that uh, that routine is leading you uh, closer and closer to God. Well, I'm out of time, and so... Here's how we're going to end this series. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon is one of um, history's most famous preachers. In fact, when I graduated from Bible college, you're going to love this. Um, I got his entire set of sermons. It was like, I swear it was like 100 books. It was like 700 pounds of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. It took up half of my bookshelf at that point. And, and I was so excited. I was like, this is the greatest graduation gift ever. And uh, Spurgeon was a preacher's preacher. Um, but there's one thing he said that probably to me is more, more powerful than any, any other. He said, I take my text, doesn't matter where he was in scripture. He said, I take my text and I make a beeline for the cross. See, we're talking about the fruit of the spirit. And what I want to say is, what, what do you need? You need love 
make a beeline for the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You need joy? Make a beeline for the cross. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You need peace? Make a beeline for the cross. It's the peace that passes understanding. Listen, you need patience? Make a beeline for the cross. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness and said he is patient with you. You need kindness? Make a beeline for the cross. It's his kindness, Romans 2.10, that leads us to repentance. Uh, you need goodness. Make a beeline for the cross. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly before him. You need faithfulness? Make a beeline to the cross. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You need gentleness. We talked about it last week. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And finally, you need self-control. Make a beeline for the cross. Let's pray. Father, help us to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of it. Would your Holy Spirit come and meet us right here, right now, in this moment. Lord, I, I pray specifically for those who need to make a beeline to the cross, that they would have the faith and courage to surrender themselves to you. God, to give you veto power. Lord, to fully yield themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the miracle that's happening in people's hearts right now as they are making that decision, a decision that will change the trajectory of their life for eternity. We celebrate and rejoice with the angels in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.